Praise God. David Huff off his Proclaim album, Run to His Mercy. So we're going to just spend a few minutes uh, going over four judicial benefits of Calvary. But before we do that, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. And uh, this was a prophetic picture given to the prophet of God hundreds of years before Christ. There is no way, there's no human way that this could have been hit right on the head like Isaiah did it some 800 years or more before Christ when he said, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now I think that's a pretty powerful verse when you stop to realize and if you rub shoulders with as many believers as I do, and, and I'm sure many of you do, you will soon understand that not everybody gets this message. Not everybody understands it. Not everybody's living in it. And you can tell by their reactions to life. And you can discern by the way they face conflict and the way they deal with things. They don't get grace. They don't get faith. They don't get mercy, really. There are lofty ideas to them. And they talk about it. But, you know, a, a man with an experience, is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. I want to say that again. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's one thing to talk about the cross. It's one thing to talk about Calvary. It's another thing to live it out experientially in your life. And a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And the church today is arguing about all kinds of stuff. You know, you got groups of people arguing over what day to worship. Should we worship on Sunday or should we worship on the old Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday? You've got believers that are arguing about what they're going to eat. You've got other believers that are arguing about which version of the Bible is the only true version and all this crazy stuff. What kind of Christian music should we listen to? And some of it's of the devil, and some of it's not. And all of this foolishness, I want to tell you, the devil is not going to lift praises up to the name of Jesus Christ, and he's not going to glorify the blood, and he's not going to glorify the cross. And so if the music you're listening to does all of that, then I don't give a stink what style it is. If your music is uplifting and glorifying Jesus Christ, I say glory to God for it, and just keep playing The churches argue crazy. And meanwhile, people are passing you by every day on their way to hell. They don't know Jesus. And I sure wouldn't want to be someone eternally lost with no idea. I mean, I just place myself sometimes in my mind, you know. What if I didn't know what I know? What if I was lost? What if I was without God, without hope in this world? I knew nothing of God. I knew nothing of Jesus. Maybe I believed in a God. But, you know, many people believe in God. Satan believes in God. The demons believe in God. And, and just say, I didn't know. Could I look at you and find my way to Jesus? Or am I going to look at you and find my way into a bigger mess than the one I'm already in now. And I think when we start to put ourselves in the position of the people in that world out there, 
It changes our ideas on a lot of what we feel is important to us. You see, as Pastor Gary and I were talking uh, a little while ago in that interview, it's not important to me if I'm recognized. It's, it's not important to me. You know, God has always gathered a crowd. You go out and you start lifting up the name of Jesus, I guarantee you'll get a crowd. I'm not going to guarantee their reaction to you, but you'll get a crowd. God can always... I'm not worried about being recognized or lifted up myself or, or my name on some marquee somewhere. I'm not interested in any of that. What I am interested in is that this world is lost. And this world is not only lost, it's hopelessly lost. And there's only one hope. And so as man tries to fill the void, the empty need in their heart with all kinds of stuff, whether it's drugs and alcohol or illicit sex or, or, or whether it's, uh, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, whatever you might think of that could fill the need in a person's empty heart. It will never satisfy that person. The only thing that will satisfy the need of the human heart is to come back into the re a relationship with the God they are exchanged from. That they are... They are estranged from their Creator. And the only thing that will satisfy that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the God of this Bible says there's only one way to enter into a relationship with Him, and that is through Jesus Christ. And not only through Jesus Christ, but through the Jesus Christ of the cross. That's the Jesus Christ that the Bible portrays, and that's what Isaiah started to prophesy 800 years before God became flesh and dwelt among us. You think of it. And Isaiah with pinpoint accuracy says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know one of the biggest problems was when Jesus came the first time, Israel was looking for a political deliverer. They were looking for a war general. They were looking for someone to deliver them from Roman bondage. But that is not why Jesus came the first time. That, when Jesus comes back the second time without sin unto salvation, He will come back to establish His kingdom upon planet earth. Hallelujah. But the first time He came, He came for one reason. And for one reason only, he came to die on a bloody, bloody cross. He came to die and to suffer the ignominy of hatefulness towards him and vile torture. And, and they plucked the beard from his face. And we'll read a little bit further on in here that he, his visage was so marred that he was unrecognizable as a human. That's why he came. He came to pour out his blood to save the sons of Adam's fallen race. And when I say the sons, the sons and daughters of Adam's fallen race. That's why he came and Israel didn't recognize him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And I, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say this. I really believe that any preacher worth their salt will enter into this part of Jesus' ministry. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the grief of this world. I think if we cannot do that, then we've got no business behind the pulpit. We've got no business at the head of an organization. We've got no business taking the people's money. If we can't enter in to the heart of God for people. Pastor Gary said it and said it well. You really cannot say you love God if you do not love people. And really, Gary Wilkerson didn't say that, and Lynn Paxton didn't say that. This Bible says that. He is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. You see, what, they were, what Isaiah is saying here is that the people were saying that God was punishing him. Israel said that Jesus was a false prophet, a false Messiah. And that when, when Jesus stood there and looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he said, uh, I and my Father are one. And many such statements that he made. And when he said, if you destroy this temple, in three days I will rebuild it. And the Jews said, blasphemy! This man blasphemes! You see, he was... He was, they said he was stricken and smitten by God. The reality was he was stricken and smitten by God, but not because he was a false prophet, but because he was dying on the cross for the sins of this world. And so in a strange way, even though their motivation was wrong and their vision was wrong, they yet spoke the truth. He was stricken. And as he hung there that day, and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, that didn't mean that God wasn't there. That means that Jesus couldn't consciously sense his presence. Because God is everywhere. But God pulled the blinds. He couldn't look. As his son, perfect, holy, sinless, in one agreement and one accord with the triune Godhead. But yet He had to die. And He did that for my sins. And He did that for your sins. And for the sins of the whole world. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now I want you to notice something that Jesus is saying. That the word of God bring, is bringing out here. You know a lot of things can lead a sheep astray. 
lot of things. Think about your own life as I think about mine. A lot of things can lead a sheep astray. A bad marriage can lead sheep astray. A trusted friend that betrays can lead a sheep astray. A business deal gone south can lead a sheep astray. The temptations of this world, the world, the flesh, the devil can lead sheep astray. But I want you to notice God doesn't spend a lot of time dealing with that. Because when you get down to it, the cause can be varied, but it really ends up in the same result. The sheep has gone astray. And he said that all of us have been there. Okay? So it's, it, he doesn't really address the reason. Because the reason that we would give is not the real reason. The real reason lies deep within each one of our own hearts as we must take that responsibility before God to die to self a little bit each day. You know, God doesn't. God knows that we cannot accomplish this in one giant step. Now that kind of happens at death. Because at death we go into that other world and boom, we're there. But as long as we live in this body, God usually brings that death to self a little bit each day. A little bit each day. Until what He wants us to see and what He wants us to focus on and major on is our own hearts. And you'll be, you'd be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, at the, I get more flack on this message than anything else that I preach. I remember one time I was talking about things of this nature and talking about the cross and, and talking about it's not the works that we do, but it's what Jesus has done. And we don't look to what we can do. You know, you've heard my little imitation of that crazy guy that was on TV. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. See me. Look at me. Hear me. Make way for me. Listen to me. It's, it's not about none of that, ladies and gentlemen. It's about what Jesus has done. And, and you'd be surprised at the smart mouth people that pipe up. They act like you're trying to take something away from them. Well, I am, in one sense. Jesus is. Jesus, he's trying to get you out of your eyes. And he's trying to get your eyes on him. And that's where your victory is. And that's where your life is. It's not just victory necessarily over a particular sin. Maybe you don't have a bad sin in your life, but all sin is bad. So if we've even got the smallest little thing in our life, God's going to put His finger on it if you call Him Father. If you call Him Father, the New Testament says that He's going to chastise His own children. If God is not bringing correction into your life, and hey, you're not going to hear Please don't wait until you hear a booming voice from the clouds of heaven because God is going to use another person most of the time to bring correction to your life. And if you're waiting around to hear a, a voice coming from the heavens, you're going to go walking on in, in that sin and sin and more and more and failure and ultimately 
you're going to be defeated. But you don't have to be that. Because God, God doesn't want me to see you you as the source of my problem, you as the source of my uh, lack, you as the source of anything. He wants me to look at my own heart. And I'll tell you, there, there'd be a lot of marriage problems solved completely if both people could get that into their head. If both people would just get that memo, you know, that we just need to look at, each, at our own selves. And that is the best way to help each other. That's the best way to do it. This is what Jesus came to solve. Let's bring it down to where we live. Yeah, we know. You know, I got saved and I was delivered from booze and, and I was delivered from drugs and all of this. Yeah, we know that and that's awesome, wonderful and good. But where do we live right now as believers? I mean, if, if you're out there as a believer, booze and alcohol, I don't really know what you got to begin with. But yet there's something, there's something, maybe nobody knows it but you and the Holy Ghost, but there's something, and your answer is not going to be in anything that you can concoct. And I'm going to flat out tell you, you can't hide it. You, you, you might think nobody really knows, but honey, they know. You can't hide it. God didn't design us to hide it. Neither did God design us to be ashamed to say, fill in the blank is what I need help with. The reason that shame comes into the picture is because believers judge one another. And we talked about that in the last program. We're going to talk about it some more in a future program. But all we like sheep and have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Now listen to this. So here is what I have to aim for. Yet he opened not his mouth. You see, Jesus wasn't a smart mouth. Even though he knew more than everybody else. He, why, he knew more than the whole planet put together. He wrote the book. Spoke the world into existence. Even though he was the Lamb of God, the Son of God, greater than any prophet, greater than anything this world had ever seen before, he wasn't a smart man. He could have called 10,000 angels. And you know what? If you'll read in the book of, I think it's, it's either Isaiah or Ezekiel, I think it's Isaiah, where they, the angel, one angel, one, one angel, might actually be described in one of the kings also. One angel met the forces of Rabshakeh and killed 186,000 Assyrians. In one night. 
1 8. If Jesus would have called ten legions of angels, it would have wiped the entire human race at that time off the face of the earth. So what does that tell me? That tells me that God didn't choose judgment at that time. He, God has chosen mercy for people. You and I should be agents of mercy because God is... He has said we are living in a time of mercy. Will His mercy run out? Absolutely. The Bible calls it judgment. Do people experience judgment even in this time of mercy? Absolutely. And some of it is self-imposed by bad choices that we make, and it brings a judgment upon us. But God is extending mercy for every human, every human soul, heart, and life in the day that we're living. He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And I want to tell you something. I heard Carter Conlon say it just the other day on one of his most recent sermons. Until we can take this attitude, and we're never going to be perfect in it because we're human, right? And as long as we're human... We're not God. We're not ever going to be God. And so we're not going to be perfect. But this heart needs to beat within the breast of the child of God. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm not going to speak things that won't glorify Christ. I'm not going to give the enemy an open door and an advantage against me. I'm not going to damn and condemn my brother and my sister. I'm not going to speak those things that the enemy would author and inspire. Until we get to this place, we can never be a real example of Christ to this generation. We can never clearly represent Him to the people of planet Earth in the time that we're living in, which could be one of the most critical times for God to have a voice and God to have a witness in the earth. When He said that, it went all over me. And there's just something about I know. I know smart mouth people are going to pipe up, Pastor. I, I understand that, but there's something about it that it rung so clear and so true to me. Hallelujah. And how is this even possible? Well, that's why we're going to give you the first four steps into understanding this here in just a moment. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Preachers, please listen to me today. Stop lying about what you're doing in ministry. Stop lying. Stop making things seem to be what they are not. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper 
in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Now somebody said, we know all that, we are saved. So we got justification. Alright? But this spills over into every aspect of life. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. My wife actually wrote an excellent little article on it the other day. And the name of it escapes me right now, but all, there's, there's three parts to this salvation. We were saved when we gave our heart to Christ. He saved us. We are eternally secure in Jesus Christ unless we stop believing and walk away. At the same time, we are continually being saved from the corruption of the world through lust. We are being saved from the world, the flesh, and the devil, even on a daily basis. And thirdly, in the future, we will one day be saved. We're going to make it. We're going to make it to the finish line. We're going to make it across the goal line. We're going to stand in His presence and worship Him for all of eternity. And we're going to be builders in the kingdom of God for all of eternity. So we were saved, we are being saved, and we shall yet be saved. This simple concept of Jesus dying to bring many sons to glory affects every area of our life. It affects our esteem. And I, I didn't use the word self-esteem because self-esteem as taught by modern psychology, is an absolute, utter farce. It's a lie. It's a joke. The Bible says that man's problem is not a low self-esteem. The Bible tells us that man's problem is pride. And pride can manifest itself in a low opinion of oneself because it's seeking sympathy from its listeners. The justification of Christ, the blood that was shed, the work that He did on the cross, it spills over into every area of life. And there's four basic truths that I want to leave you with tonight. We've got some older music uh, for as we go off the air. We also have an, a prayer uh, segment with Pastor Carter coming. So I'm going to give you these four things. You might want to write them down and write the scripture reference down and meditate on them because this is the entry point. And this basic entry point that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for the justification of many, basically all who will come to him and believe and receive him. But that doesn't end there. So no, we don't have justification. If we're struggling with inferiority, if we're struggling with temper, if we're struggling with anger, somebody said, oh, that's sanctification. Yes, but the bedrock of all of it is an understanding of what Jesus did for you and who you now are because you've accepted him. You see, I really don't care what people think of me if I know what God thinks of me. 
I really don't have to have the biggest and the best. You see, I'm trying to use examples that run through several areas of life here. I really don't have to live in a mansion on Nob Hill, wherever in the world that is. If I know that I'm God's child, I can be happy, I can be filled with joy in a hovel on the side of the road if I have to be, because I have Jesus. So, I mean, whatever area of life we're dealing with, whether it's personal, whether it's financial, whether it's domestic, whether it's uh, temptation, whatever the case might be, when we know who He's making us to be in Christ, that is our launching place for victory. And victory doesn't mean the absence of struggle. Victory means... You really want to know what I think victory means from the Word of God? Jesus is sufficient all in all for everything at all times in my heart and life. That's what I think victory means. It sure doesn't mean, well, I ain't going to struggle no more. Are you kidding me? It sure doesn't mean all my problems will go away. Are you kidding me? When you start believing this book the way it ought to be believed, you're going to have everything come against you that hell can throw, including some Christians. Especially if they're clinging to their works mentality. Boy, they're going to try to shoot you down when you start preaching faith and grace. But I want to tell you something right now. There can't no smart mouth in this world run me off of the ground that God has clearly revealed in His Word. So, I, it, But see, the reason I can live that way and not think about it, I don't sit down and stew over it all day. I don't think about it all the time. I don't care. Love me, hate me, walk with me, walk away from me, whatever you want to do, I'm sticking with the cross. I'm sticking with faith and grace. Why? Why can I say that? Because of me? No. Because I know who He's making me to be. I know the work that Jesus is doing and has done in my heart. And once we get to that place, now we can begin to really love people the way they need you see. Sometimes when you love people, that don't mean agree with them. That means present Jesus to them. And we do it kindly, and we do it nicely, absolutely. Wow. Four great judicial results of Calvary. First of all, Calvary affected. It effected with an E, not an A. Effected the acknowledgement in the person of Christ, the act of the judgment that was due on sin, the, the judgment that God demanded to come from sin was enacted and effected on the person of Christ. In other words, judgment was poured on Christ instead of on us. And for all who will believe. And the scripture reference to meditate on for that one is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Secondly, Calvary makes it possible for, the, for our self that's been corrupted by the fall and Satan is now the personal author and representative 
But because of what Jesus did on the cross, our self can be placed in Christ. So someone said it well when they said Jesus died on the cross in order to save us from self as well as sin. And so you can look with me at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2, 20 and 21. And you can get an idea of this. Not only did, did Jesus die on the cross to save us from sin, but He died to save us from ourselves. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What are you saying? I'm saying that we can place what Satan has corrupted, which was our self, our self-life, our being, our person. We can That can now be placed in Christ and become sanctified as the Holy Spirit goes to work on it and makes us who God wants us to be. And that's the second great judicial result of Calvary. The third, Calvary destroyed an actual organic connection that Satan had brought about between sin and death. Alright, I want you to think of this. If there was no sin, there would be no death. While the wages of sin continue to be death, and even Christians die on this planet, and live in physical bodies that are corrupted because of thousands of years of sinning against God has produced uh, 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 abnormalities in Adam's race. That's why we have cancers. That's why Christians sometimes get cancers. And Christians sometimes get heart problems and everything else that the world gets too. Sometimes people don't understand, well, I'm a Christian. I believe God this should happen. But it does happen because we live in a fallen world. And this thing is actually inbred into humanity from thousands of years of sinning against God. So indirectly, sin is the result of all sickness and disease. Indirectly. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're sick or you have something wrong with you that it's because you've sinned. It's not that. It's the effect that sin has had on the planet that makes that to be so. But Calvary in essence, destroyed that connection with the promise of eternal life. So that where Jesus even stood and looked at the, the sisters, and he said, hey, even though he's dead, if he believed on me, he lives. He shall never die because we are eternal souls and we are placed into Christ. And so this connection is broken between sin and death. Calvary made it possible because of the blood of Christ. You can read 1 John 1 and 7. Spiritual death as a result of sin, of which all men are guilty, no longer claims its victims as it regards those who have accepted Christ. So in other words, the law of God says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Right? That's in the Bible. But that same Bible also says, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. So even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why, you know, people don't have any trouble believing that there's only one way to become a human. You try, try all that you want. There's only one way to become a human, man. you got to be born. Right? So it shouldn't startle you to realize that there's only one way you can be born again. And that is through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible proclaims. That is the solution to the dilemma that man finds himself in, is Jesus Christ, and as we put our faith in what Jesus Christ did and who He is, then we are offered and promised eternal life. So the cosmic, organic connection that Satan tried to bring about between sin and death is destroyed by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame Him, Revelation says, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Why? Because they knew they weren't going to die. They knew their physical body was going to die, but they were going to live on somewhere forever. And so you can maintain a firm witness in your life by understanding what Jesus has done for you at the cross. You can. It works in every area of your life. Get it out of your mind that salvation is a one-time thing and you're done and you don't need to revisit that. That's bull. That's a bunch of malarkey. You need to revisit the most basic of gospel truth every single opportunity you have because in that revisiting of the simplistic gospel, the basic gospel of Jesus is the depths of, of mining the depths of wisdom from God. And the wisdom of God, what did Paul say it was? In 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of God is the cross of Jesus. So this doesn't stop the moment we say, yes, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Uh-uh, buddy. The door just opened. I mean, this is just the beginning. And as we revisit this over and over and over and over again, we begin to see what God has done for the human race, for all who will believe. And fourthly, the fourth great judicial result, Calvary made it possible for all men to become the personal possession of the Redeemer. So in other words, now, where Satan is the God of this world because of the fall, because Adam changed gods when he disobeyed the Heavenly Father, and actually Satan became Adam's God, now, I'll say this, you know, everybody who doesn't know Christ, really, in actuality, you aren't neutral. You cannot be neutral. If you, if you don't know Christ, and you're not serving Christ, then you're serving Satan. You're serving Satan by default. Man serves Satan by default. And that's why every single one of us has to come into our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because every one of us need to be born again. And there's only one way to be born again. And that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, according to 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, we become the personal possession of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you. I don't know how, how you take care of your stuff. 
And the Bible says that the human being is worth more than the birds that fly in the air or the grass that grow in the field. The human being is worth more than stuff. I don't know how you take care of your stuff, and I don't know how you treat people. But I'll tell you one thing right now. Jesus takes care of his possessions. Yes, he does. Jesus will preserve his heritage. He will look upon the, the prize that he won, which is all of us, and all who have gone before us, who have received him into their hearts and lives, and named that blessed name. He looks at that, and he keeps it. He keeps it. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. There's a way out of all of that, and it's called the blood of Jesus Christ. And God keeps His collection, even the tainted ones. Even the ones who have, would be rejected off the assembly line of life. But Jesus keeps it. And Jesus goes to work on it. And Jesus makes the corrections, and He polishes it, and He shines it all up, and makes it a beautiful jewel for His Father to behold. That's you and that's me. Listen, if I told you everything that I've done, I won't do that. I will never do that because I don't want to glorify the work of the devil in my early life. But if I told you the things that I did before I became a Christian, you wouldn't be able to believe it if you knew me today. And even as a Christian, sometimes we have problems and we have issues and we make mistakes. Join the rest of us card-carrying members of the human race, will you? We make mistakes and we mess up. And I want to tell you right now, because, but, you know, that reminds me of my dad every time I catch myself saying that. Because my dad used to say that all the time. I'll tell you right now. So I'm just, bless, bless God, I'm just thinking about my dad now, see? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So I'm going to tell you right now. What are you going to tell me? Okay. I'm going to tell you right now. If every one of us have sinned, and if we really believe that, if we really understand that we've all fallen short, and we've fallen and come short of the glory of God, if we really understand that and believe that, then there ain't no reason for me to be mad at nobody. You say, yeah, but Brother Lamb, you don't know what they did. Well, yeah, but I know who we serve. And the whole point of what we read in the book of Isaiah, I'm not going to go back there now, but the whole point of what we read is that God deals with each of us on an individual level. Does it make it right? No, but as long as we demand justice, then just understand this. What if God demanded justice? from us personally on a personal level. We'd go to hell. Everyone else. And what I'm telling you is stop demanding justice and start receiving mercy. And you will you know that it will have the same result. It will have the same result. If somebody's hurt and wounded you in your life or if somebody's done you wrong, stole some money from you, or or taking your spouse or you name it. People are crazy. And these are the things that happen out there. But if you can learn, if you can learn to see this through the eyes of the Galilean that hung on the tree, if you can somehow, you're going to have the same result as if that 
estranged husband would come back to you and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, you can get the same reaction by you just letting the Lord do a work in your heart and turning loose of that thing. But how is that possible? I cannot do that. You cannot do that. But Jesus did it. I just read it to you from the book of Isaiah. And Jesus makes it possible for us to do it. You can take a man like Martin Luther King or a man like Mahatma Gandhi or many others that we could name that you don't even know their names, but they're living in our towns and our cities and our villages even now. And they have suffered great wrong in life. They have suffered terribly at the hands of other people, at the hands of a system, at the hands of the judiciary at times. They, I know many people who were falsely accused of terrible crimes. On and on and on it could go. But they learned one valuable truth that brought them through it all. God has forgiven me of a lifetime of sin and iniquity. Who am I? to hold anything against another human being. Am I sorry? Am I sorrowful at times? Yes. Am I, do I get hurt at times? Yes. Do I, do I get banged around at times? Yes. But who am I to hold against them what God refuses to hold against me? And I'll tell you, man, that'll free you. That'll free you if you never get, uh, if you never get anything else in life that you're seeking. That will set you free. And that will loose the chains of bondage of addictions in your life as well. Most addictions are the result of another cause other than the chemical. Most addictions have something deep-seated that caused them to get a stranglehold on us. But glory be to God, Jesus died on the cross to free us from every single addiction, every single torment of the enemy. And you see, you can't possibly say, well, you, 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 you people are making light of my pain. Let me tell you something. You want, if you want to think that, you can go ahead. But when they pulled the beard off of his face, he identified with your pain. When they spit on him and, and whipped him with a lictor's lash, he identified with your pain. No, we're not making light of pain. We're telling that it doesn't have to rule over your heart and life. And we give you four big reasons why you can win in life. And winning in life doesn't look like it does in the world. Winning in life means you can be filled with joy. You can have peace with God. We are justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God. And we have access into His grace because of faith. Because Calvary examples for us the judgment of God upon Jesus that we deserved made it possible for our corrupted self to be placed into Christ, destroyed the connection between sin and death, and even though the wages of sin continue to be death, the blood of Jesus assuages that for all who will believe. And also we can become, number four, the personal possession of Jesus Christ. Now listen, with that in your game, 
how can you lose? And so what I want to ask you tonight, if you don't know the Lord, God loves you. And He sent His Son to bleed and die on the cross for you just every bit as much as He did for me or for anyone else. You haven't sinned too bad. You haven't done too much wrong that you could not be forgiven. You are a worthwhile human being. God said so because He sent... Look at the price that God paid for you. He gave His Son, His own Son, the love of His heart for you. And you can be made at peace with God. No war, no battle anymore between you and God. Now you're going to battle some things, but not God. And that's the thing that Christians need to know too, is that God's on your side. You know, you, you give your heart to Christ. Well, I'm talking to, to those who haven't, but maybe some of you have given your heart to Christ, but you think God's mad at you, and you think you're at war with God. You are not. You're at war with your own self, with your own flesh. You're not really at war with your brother or your sister in the Lord either. You're at war, at war with yourself. You're not really at war with this culture that we live in. The only reason the culture's in the sick, sorry shape it's in is because too many people have gone along with it. So the battle is in the human heart. And as each one of us get victory and gain and get victory in that area, begin to see these things and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to make changes, then before long, before you know it, countries are changing, cities are changing, villages are changing. We see it every day when we look at when we talk to Patrick Hubbard. We're going to talk to him in about a week uh, uh, again on the air. And we talked to Patrick and the things that he's sharing from Cambodia and from uh, Brazil and South America, different things that whole villages are being changed. Why? Is it because of, of knowledge? I mean, if knowledge could change the world, the whole world would have been saved when the computer came into existence. No, it's not knowledge. It's not a better plan. It's not a better way. It's not a strategy. It's not this or that or the other. It is Jesus Christ coming into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and changing their hearts and setting them free. Praise be to God. So if you don't know the Lord, I want to invite you to receive Him into your heart and life. It's very simple to do. All you have to do is provide the sinner, and God will provide the Savior. And, you, and let's pray that together right now, because I've prayed this prayer myself, and so I can help you pray uh, what the Bible tells us that we need to pray, and God's going to hear this prayer, and God's going to receive you, and God's going to accept you, because this is His Word to you. And God is not a man that He should lie. He's not going to lie to you. He offers you eternal life. He's going to give you eternal life. Here, here, here it is. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I come to you. I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. And I realize that my sin has made a distance between you and I. I want to come home, God. I want to come home and have a relationship with you as my Father. And I realize that you sent Jesus to the cross to die there for my sins, and He died a bloody death. And He shed that life's blood for me so that I don't have to die spiritually, but I can stand in your presence for all of eternity washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so right now, I ask you to wash me, cleanse me,
and deliver me from my sins. And I place my faith in Jesus because he died for me. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you have raised him from the dead and he lives right now, ever making intercession for me, talking to God for me about my problems, about my needs, about my situations. But more importantly, he's showing me his glory. And that will solve every problem that I have. And I believe that right now. And I ask Jesus to come and live in my heart. And according to the Word of God, I am saved. In Jesus' name. And if you just prayed that prayer, we would love to send you some free literature that will help you to start a brand new life, a brand new day, a brand new beginning. And we would, we would love to send it to you free of charge, no strings attached. I don't send out any kind of letters or anything. All you have to do is email me, office at acts2618.com. That's office at acts, acts2618.com. And we want to send you a little packet that will help you grow. What, what do I do now? I prayed that prayer. What, what do I do now? It's, it's so much more than praying a prayer. What do I do? And this literature will help to explain to you. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love to send you a Bible as well. So just email me, office at acts2618.com and say, Brother Lamb, I asked Jesus into my heart and, and, and I need a Bible and I would like to have that literature so that I can get started right. And if you're a believer tonight, and you have been facing discouragements, and you've been facing battles, and we all do, living in the day and age that we live, you can know that this same Jesus that died on the cross to save us from sin, also died to save us from self. And when you get right down to it, every battle is a battle with self. And I want to have a word of prayer real quickly over this battle as well. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Father God, for making yourself so real to me in my life. Father, I pray for every one of my friends, every one of my partners, every one of my neighbors that are tuned in to the program tonight. Father, that we, we we're just struggling so much at times with, with all that is within us, Father, and all that we see and hear in the day and age in which we live. We just, we just come before you tonight, God, and we ask you to bring a revelation of the new covenant. Bring a revelation of what you really did for us at the cross into our heart and life. God, show us who we are. Show us how you see us. Show us how you see our problems. Show us how you see our condition. Show us your heart for us, Father, we pray. And help us to walk healed, to walk whole, to walk well by laying that life down on the altar and, and laying it down at Calvary and let the blood of Jesus wash over us afresh and anew tonight. Put in us, oh God, a heart like yours. Put in us, God, a heart that will be quick to love and quick to forgive and quick to show mercy. Put in us a heart, God, that will quickly heal over the, the arrows of the devil that come at us through life. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's a, a myriad of different things. But put in a heart within us that will heal quickly 
as we commit our lives and our very self to you tonight. In Jesus' name, and we claim this deliverance, and we claim this victory, and we claim this power from God. And many hearts have been broken, says the Lord. Many, many people have lost loved ones, and many people have, have lost uh, the fire and the enthusiasm of life, and many people have been hurt and wounded by life, and, and Jesus has died for all of that, and His blood was shed that you might be made whole. And He sees the hurt and the pain and the tears and the suffering, and He loves you more than you could ever understand within yourself. He loves you, and He's got a picture in mind that's bigger than what we see. It's bigger than what we feel. It's bigger than where we're at today. And so we release to you, Lord. We release to you these things that have troubled us that have burdened us, God. We release the pain that we felt when we've lost our loved ones and when we've, we've felt so alone and forsaken in this world. And We release the pain uh, that we have felt when we have tried to stand against temptation, but we fail you again and again and again. And God, we just ask you to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us for looking too much at ourselves. And Father, we plead the blood of Jesus we plead the blood of Jesus. This is our only hope. This is our only way. This is our only victory. We plead the blood of Jesus. And we pray in His name tonight. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. All the praise and all the glory. And before we go, I preached a little longer than I was going to preach. But I've got two songs. And these are old-timey songs.